It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another Draft Weekend episode of Locked On Vikings. Day three is in the books. We know who the Vikings have taken, and we are going to break down every player here on this show, and then we're going to come back for one more tomorrow to break down the whole draft and kind of the more like macro angle stuff. Did they address the right positions? Did they get the right value kind of thing? Uh, So today we'll be able to focus fully on just evaluating the players that the Vikings took and where they took them. As always, I am your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find this show on any podcast app you want, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Himalaya, anywhere you find your favorite shows. Or if you don't like podcast apps or if you watch in the, or you listen in the car and don't want to be scrolling through your phone, you can always ask Siri or your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. It'll take you right to the most recent episode. So so let us dive right in because we have a crapload of players to talk about. So the first thing the Vikings did on uh, this wonderful Saturday morning was to trade up in the draft to get Drew Samia, who had been falling. Uh, I actually had mocked him to the Vikings uh, in one of the mock draft Mondays, I think. I know I, I talked about him as a prospect of the day, uh, but I always really thought of him as a round three prospect. So getting him in round four, even though you had to trade up to get that, uh, is, is really good value in my opinion. He's a guard out of Oklahoma that I definitely liked, but I always kind of thought the Vikings weren't interested because he doesn't have like the measurables they typically look for in interior offensive linemen, but at Oklahoma, they did run a nice little zone scheme, and you saw him really be able to excel on some of those zone scheme plays. You saw the scheme fit works and, and that everything fits, and they, you know, they didn't go to Oklahoma's pro day or like, I don't think they even met with him or anything. Uh, and I think that's because they didn't need to. That's, you know, the, the other side of that coin. It either shows no interest or it shows that they just don't have any additional questions that need answering. And they'll use their top 30 visits and all of that kind of limited access on somebody else that they're a little bit more unsure about. So I was definitely wrong on that count, but I'm happy to be wrong because I'm a fan of the pick. Uh, I I like Drew Samia as an interior offensive lineman. I don't think he's ready to play yet, but let's get more into the specifics about him. I I think the biggest thing that pops off of the tape to everybody that has like scouted him and written things up about him is that he has a mean streak. He's nasty and he's tenacious, almost to a fault. And this is why he isn't ready to play because sometimes he's a little too aggressive and he wants the highlight play and he's a little greedy about it. And that means that he can forget his technique sometimes and he can, you know, forget his to, to, you know, be responsible about his hands and then he can give up bad leverage uh, or he, you know, he tries to engage too early and that means that he gives up his leverage. And all those little polished things are like the right kind of problems, the right kind of raw, as we've talked about a bunch on this process, on this podcast, like, you know, the, the kinds of things that like you can fix, but they will take a little bit of time. And so, you know, if you were drafting Drew Samia and you hadn't taken any other options, offensive linemen yet, like some of the the, the mock drafts that we talked about in pre-draft, uh, it would be a much bigger problem. But Drew Samia doesn't have to start right away, because right now, the offensive line is looking like Riley Reef and then Bradbury and Elfline in some order, Josh Klein at right guard, and Brian O'Neill at right tackle. And it seems like that's pretty uncontested, unless Drew Samia is way ahead of schedule and like beats out Elfline or something that would be kind of crazy. I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility, but I'm certainly not betting on it. 
And what that means is that Drew Samia can hang back and learn and, and you know, wait in the wings and kind of work on his stuff every day in practice and, and work out those aggression, you know, those over aggressive tendencies uh, and not put himself in a bad spot nearly as often. And once you have that, you have somebody with some really nice ability. I know his tested measurables like didn't quite add up to what the Vikings typically look for, but his on field tape athleticism, like the, the athleticism you see him play with kind of outperforms the tested measurables. And that's really a theme of the whole draft is the Vikings taking guys that look more athletic on tape than they did at, at the combine in the actual measured drills. And I think that's a fine philosophy to take so long as you're very, very confident in, you know, that on tape athleticism. If they look fast on the field and then they don't run a good 40, well, maybe them looking fast on the field is what's actually going to translate. Or maybe your eyes are deceiving you because they're like playing against a bunch of slow other college undraftable players or something like that. And you have to be really careful about that. So if you're right, it really does pay off. So in a nutshell, Drew Samia, big fan of the pick. I love taking a guy out of that Oklahoma offensive line, getting one of those and actually getting not only all the starters you need on the offensive line, but the depth. And also if Josh Klein isn't good enough, which is, you know, possible when we talked about, you know, his free agents, him as a free agent signing, we said, you know, there's a chance he's, he's like not good enough to be on this, you know, like on, on an offensive line that should be taken seriously, you actually do have kind of a floor. Now he has to be better than Drew Samia. I think he will be, but if he isn't, boy, good thing we have somebody that's going to prevent him from starting in that nightmare scenario. Uh, so I'm going to, now I'm going to move on to Cameron Smith, the linebacker out of USC that the Vikings took in the fifth round. They got a fifth round pick as part of their trade flurry at the end of the third round on Friday night. And with it, they take Cameron Smith. Now, Cameron Smith, uh, there was a weird situation here where Blake Cashman was falling down the board, and Blake Cashman in the fifth round is something that a lot of people on Twitter were getting really excited about, and that would be a good value pick. Uh, He ends up getting sniped one pick in front of the Vikings, and then the Vikings trade back a few spots, pick up an extra seventh, which recoups the pick that they spent to trade up to get Samia, so they were like back up to their nine picks a day, and then select, I guess, the next linebacker on their board. So Cameron Smith, all in all, on field is a really limited athlete. He has a reasonable spark score, and I actually tweeted, I was like, he kind of has a limited ceiling in my opinion, and people were like, "Ah, actually, his, like, broad jump was really good, and so he does have some explosiveness, but he doesn't have the, like, agility or, like, sideline-to-sideline range at all, and that's going to prevent him from ever really contending to start in this offense, even if you take away Barr and Kendrick are in this defense. Even if you take away Barr and Kendricks from the equation, you need to have range to start at linebacker for the Vikings, and that means that he'll never really be a viable starting option, which means that if injuries put us in a situation where he has to start, that is going to become a problem. Now, that's gonna it's going to take a lot of injuries for that to happen, so I don't think that that's a scenario we really have to be too worried about, uh, but that's kind of what like limits his ceiling. So, uh, you know, as a fifth-round pick, he's never going to start. That doesn't really, like, that's not a huge disaster, right? Like, you, it would be pretty crazy to have that expectation, but the fact that even at his like best case scenario is like he's a backup for a long time is eh, kind of whatever to me. It's not an exciting pick at all, but it's that doesn't mean it's a bad pick. Uh, I think you could get more value out of like raw athletic, you know, guys that need to learn things, but their ceiling is sky high. And the Vikings have absolutely no shortage of that as we will get to. So I'm completely fine. You know, in the context of the entire draft, I'm completely fine taking a guy that just kind of comes out of the box as a backup linebacker. The Vikings do tend to have like a a steady flow of these guys all the way back to like Audi Cole and Brandon Watts and, and uh, Ed Robinson. And, you know, these guys that Kentrell brothers is now the guy getting Eric Wilson became one of those guys, even though he was an undrafted free agent. 
you know, the, these are the, the like kind of mid round fourth to fifth to sixth round linebackers that come in, play special teams. You know, they're, they're really like tackle porters in college, which, uh, Cameron Smith, like led the team and tell you like set USC school records in terms of tackle production. Uh, and he has like some, he's pretty polished. He tends to overrun plays a little bit too much. That's like his biggest knock. And probably one of the big reasons why he was available in the fifth round is that he just, he over pursues because he just doesn't quite have that like innate grip on angles. And then he just doesn't have the athleticism to get, you know, the range that you would need to be able to like comfortably take those angles. And then sometimes you have to kind of overcorrect and then you end up running too fast and you over pursue the angle. All that said, his real contribution to the team will come on special teams, which is pretty typical of fifth rounders. Uh, and, and as you know, a reserve linebacker that comes in if you get into a whole bunch of injury trouble. Uh, and he basically is just going to challenge Kentrell Brothers. He's a very similar pick to Kentrell Brothers or Ben Gedeon or, you know, going back, the Vikings take one of these guys like every year. So they're, you know, sticking to their brand and they, they got one again. So I am going to step away to an ad break real quick. And when I come back, we will talk about the big glut of sixth rounders. And hopefully we'll be able to get through everybody before I run out of time on this podcast. I'll talk to you all in a second. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Locked On Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you, 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours, and you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. That's LockdownPodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. All right. So continuing on after the Cameron Smith pick, there was a nice little lull. We could all catch our breath and prepare for a ridiculous and wild flurry of draft picks because the Vikings in all of the trades, uh, which side note, I am going to talk about the trades and their value as a whole on uh, tomorrow's show because I don't have, there's just too many players to go into and I want to be able to give them their due. Uh, and tomorrow I can talk about trades and as like kind of a part of the the entire strategy of the draft. And we can really get into more depth on tomorrow's show as a to trying to squeeze it in around all of the different players. So as a part of all of that trading that they did on Friday night, they got picks 190, 191, and 193. That's three of four picks in the sixth round that they got to choose at. They, they did stand pat at all three of those selections, and they took a whole bunch of projects, whole bunch of like athletic jock types that's going to be the archetype for all of these players. So the first one is Armin Watts. He comes out of Arkansas, and here's the the scoop on him is that he was kind of nobody. He was just like buried on the Arkansas roster for like the first three years of his of his college tenure there, and then he actually got a, a chance to start at at one technique. He's a defensive tackle, uh, so he got a chance to start at like nose tackle, the Linval Joseph position in his senior year, and he like totally exploded, put up a bunch of production. And essentially, the question you get is like, okay, was he a fluke and a flash in the pan, or was Arkansas just like hiding this total bombshell on their roster? that we just all didn't know about. 
he has like an awesome tested athletic profile. Uh, so here's the the issue with him. The reason that he falls all the way to the sixth round is that for one, he doesn't have a first step at all. And he doesn't really have the like feel for cadences and snap counts and stuff to be able to like jump a snap and really get off and have that like penetrative first step that we've talked about the Vikings really wanting in a lot of their defensive tackles. Now, again, in the sixth round, you kind of have to be okay with not getting everything you want in a defensive tackle, uh, but that's like one of his biggest blemishes. And the other one is he just doesn't have the range. And some analysts have actually called in like a, a little bit of an effort question with him when it comes to like pursuing an outside run or, you know, chasing down a, a screenplay or something like that. Uh, so I think it was Joe Marino at Draft Network. I, I apologize if I'm wrong about which one, but somebody over there said uh, that, that like, put him in a phone booth and he'll win, but anything else, and he kind of just tapers off, and, and he either, you know, gets beat to the edge or shows you that he's not, he's not putting in that kind of effort when the play has gone to a place on the field that is not his responsibility. And that's something that you're going to have to work out if you're going to make an NFL football team. So we'll see what kind of effort we see from him there. Personally, I, I almost never think it's an effort thing. Uh, you know, you didn't really hear any, like, red flags or anything like that about his effort from his teammates or anything like that. People who looked into it found that everybody's like, no, his work ethic's fine, and maybe he just doesn't have the range, and he doesn't run very fast side to side. That's why he's a defensive tackle, uh, but that's kind of the scoop on, on him. You know, he has reasonable technique. He has, you know, reason, really good athleticism. He has quite a bit he could still learn about, like, you know, rushing with a plan, and he could definitely add to his pass rush arsenal and all that stuff, um, and, and hopefully over time he becomes, like, a viable rotational piece on the defensive line. I really like the pick. In the sixth round, you know, give me a project. Give me somebody that would pay off if you spend a couple years developing him. I think he has to get over those uh, issues side to side, and I think he has to get a better first step if he wants to actually make the team. But if he can make the team or even the practice squad for a couple years, yeah, you might have something cooking there. Lance Zerline compared him to Shamar Stefan, so... There's that. He does also have position flexibility along the entire interior. It can play three tech and one tech, and that does matter when you talk about backup defensive tackles. So with the very next pick in the actual draft, the Vikings went back to back. They took Marcus Epps out of Wyoming. He plays safety. He's a little shorter. Some pe- Sometimes uh, he actually played a little bit of nickel corner too, and he kind of straddles that line. Personally, I, I would rather keep him at safety, and I'll get into why here in a second. A lot of it has to do with Lance Zerline's evaluation of him. Um, but the upside to him is that he has really awesome athletic testing again, especially uh, agility testing, which would project very well to the slot, though his tape doesn't really match that. And it also projects well to safety. You do want some agility at safety because as you're reading the play, things are going to change. Plays are designed to kind of look like one thing and then actually be another. So as you're reading the cha- the, the play, you're going to have to change, of, change your direction very quickly. And Marcus Epps has like the tested athleticism where that's not going to be a problem. And at least looking at the tape, he can read the quarterback's eyes and he can kind of figure out plays when when chilling back at that free safety position. And I would argue he's like kind of ahead of where most rookies tend to be, especially like that late in the draft. He's ahead of where rookies would be in that whole like mental part of the game. And that tells me that he'll be able to develop and do it just fine. And of course, he'll take a lot of time. They're all going to take a lot of time this late in the draft. But I like his like futures as a safety. Now, as a nickel corner, there's a couple things that I really don't like that kind of jump out to me. The first is that he doesn't have makeup speed. If he gets beat, he doesn't have the like top end speed to make up for it. And and a lot of corners do have that makeup speed, especially when like the wide receiver is looking 
kicking back, tracking the ball, and then running not quite as fast, and you can make up a little bit of cushion. Uh, you know, Epps doesn't have that, and that means that as a nickel corner, it's a little bit more worrisome than if you get to play back at, at free safety. And he also just didn't play nickel corner with as much aggression as he played safety. And the way that the Vikings roster is constructed, especially after the draft, I just don't think there's room for him at slot corner, even on the 90-man roster, makes a lot more sense for him to compete at safety. So we'll see how that turns out. And then the last pick of this whole, like, big flurry was... Olisa Mecca Udo, I really hope I pronounced that right, uh, but Udo is uh, a tackle and he's huge and he has this crazy athletic profile and everybody raves about him as like another like athletic prospect and I actually really like his story. I'll get more into his story later on uh, in the summer, um, but I, I really like that, you know, he's got this like really fun relationship with his parents who are Nigerian immigrants and also like in the medical practice and he wants to go there after football. I think that's really fun. Um, But yeah, Udo has like a lot of really big issues. The biggest is that he stands too tall. He doesn't bend his knees. He's like a waist bender, quote unquote. Uh, So instead of like bending your knees and getting into a nice squat position, his posture is like very wrong. That's a difficult thing to fix. But if you can, he is like a, a made in a lab, perfect, uh, tackle. I think he played mostly right tackle, um, but, you know, he's this big guy, big mountain mover of a guy, and if you can get his technique and his posture under control, which is a tall order, you would get rewarded for, like, completing such a a difficult challenge. So I am going to step away one more time, and then when I come back, we'll talk about all of the seventh round picks. I'll see y'all in a second. All right, so in the seventh round, the Vikings selected four players, a cornerback, two wideouts, and weirdly a long snapper. We will get to that, don't worry. But first, I want to take this in order. So the first seventh round pick came at pick 217, I think it was. Uh, Chris Boyd, cornerback out of Texas. He's like 5'11". He's got a reasonable size for a corner. And in terms of his strength, everybody that scouted him and spent time, like, really lauded his tackling and his run defense. That's the kind of thing that he, like, you know, he's willing to do the dirty work and he's willing to be physical in the line of scrimmage and he's willing to, you know, give good run support and stuff. And that does matter, but obviously corners are, are here for their coverage and there's a lot of really glaring issues. He doesn't have the long speed to keep up with burners. He, he gets beat off the line of scrimmage too often and... And he's really like, he he can hand fight, but he hand fights too hard and got called for a lot of penalties because of that. So he's like grabby and he has that habit to deal with. And essentially the deal with this guy is that all of these things didn't really show up as much until the 2018 season. He looked like a pretty good corner as an underclassman at Texas. He played with Holton Hill, by the way. So there's that kind of chemistry angle. Uh, But like he had a lot fewer issues headed into his senior season. And then he picked up a bunch of really bad habits. And this is not an uncommon thing for college players to kind of like develop into bad habits that that you then have to break into the in the NFL but that is going to be like a lot of work and being good at tackling and run defense isn't going to really net you a spot on the roster I think he's competing with Duke Thomas for the the like nickel sixth cornerback type spot you know the spot that Marcus Sherrill's vacated and that's going to mean you're going to need to show that you can break those bad habits you don't need to break them all the way in training camp but you need to at least show progress and you need to show some contribution in special teams. Otherwise, Duke Thomas takes your roster spot. So that'll be another really fun position battle to watch. The two AAF D-backs in Darren Smith and Duke Thomas got uh, competition drafted right at their spot today. So that will be really, or sorry, yesterday, because you're listening to this on the day after. Uh, But that'll be really fun to watch. I should also mess, uh, mention that he's, like, pretty cerebral, and he's he's got, like, reasonably instinctive when it comes to, like, calling out deceptive route combinations and stuff, like he can read the field fine. And that is that does matter, and that's something that not every prospect has. But moving on to the wide receivers. 
the first one off the board in the, the seventh round for the Vikings was Dylan Mitchell out of Oregon. Now, he, uh, I'm going mostly off of Dane Brugler's assessment here uh, and whatever else that I could find, but basically he has a good athletic profile, very nice uh, for a receiver, so I'm, I'm happy with that. For, like, a late-round guy, you need a certain level of athletic profile to, like, have the ceiling that makes you, you know, worth taking a flyer on in spite of all your other issues. And, and the issues for Dylan Mitchell, you know, he's got fine route running, he can make separation, you know, he can, he's very fluid, he can transition to running after the catch really nicely, that's important. The real issue is his hands and his focus, and he has, like, focus drops, and, and you know, gave up some gimmies, and it's very inconsistent. Um, I, I think that's a kind of thing that you can, like, work through, maybe? Like, sometimes you can work through it, and sometimes you can't, and he's gonna have to work through it quickly, because I think with a couple years to develop, he could be, a, like, a real contributing wide receiver, and, and, you know, somebody that actually has an impact on the offense, but he has to earn those first two years, and he has to get over the drops first to do that. He also has a really lean frame and might want to, like, pack on some muscle, uh, though I, I think that that's definitely different, like, player to player, and there are some players that don't need that muscle, and they just have to, like, hope they don't get broken in half by a, an overzealous, hard-hitting safety. He definitely has, you know, all the athleticism you would want for, like, a good slot receiver. Um, he's not, like, a short, quick guy or anything like that, but he does project well in the slot, and if he can figure out those issues, I, I actually, I like the way, like, I, I like the ceiling that he provides if he works out his issues, and I like that the Vikings drafted a guy with that ceiling whose issues aren't completely detrimental. Like, you have to figure out your hands, but that's been done before, and that's not out of the question. So moving on to the other wide receiver that the Vikings selected, they took Ola B.C. Johnson out of Colorado State. Like, small school kid. This is, like, your very typical story out of the NFL drafted. Like, this kid that came from a small school and, like, scrapped his way through. He doesn't have a crazy production pro profile. He doesn't really have a crazy athletic profile. Uh, but I don't really see any major flaws either. He seems, like, very much, like... I almost want to call him like a replacement level player, like somebody that just doesn't have anything that he does better than everybody, but he doesn't have anything that he does worse than like everybody either. And that means that kind of establishes a fun baseline for everybody else to like compare to. Um, he's really, there's not a lot of information out there on him because he came from a small school and he's kind of a, like a littler, a, a smaller time player, which isn't a bad thing because, you know, the Vikings are going to have done a lot more scouting than really any of us covering the Vikings are. And so that's okay that like they have found some things in their evaluation that they like. The biggest thing that I've found that the Vikings would like is, is character. All his coaches rave about his character and his work ethic and how he like never stops fighting and all that stuff. And he has like that kind of, those kind of statements that really make NFL teams salivate. And he has a lot of special teams prowess, and the Vikings kind of have a low-key hole there, the kind of hole you would want to fix in, in the seventh round of the NFL draft. They lost Marcus Sherrills. They replaced him at cornerback. They'll have a cornerback that replaces him, but they haven't replaced him on special teams, really. And this guy could be the punt returner. He ran a 4-5-1-40. That's not excellent. That's okay. It's fine. Uh, but it's not like, ooh, you have, like, crazy speed to be a returner. But if he does have, have experience returning, you know, the, things, the, the thing the Vikings care about the most is who doesn't fumble. And the guys with more experience are going to be better at not fumbling, not necessarily the guys with the best athletic profile. So I kind of like his chances to make the team just on the basis of special teams if he if he uh, can figure that out. So that's it for uh, players who are going to contribute to the Vikings in any meaningful way. Uh, the last pick at pick 250, the Vikings went and selected a long snapper. And what's worse, a long snapper that might not uh, be available to the NFL for two years. It's like a Ricky Rubio situation, except instead of the European Basketball League, it's the 
the Air Force. They drafted Austin Cutting out of uh, Air Force, a, a an actual long snapper. So let's uh, let's break this down. For one, drafting a long snapper in general is not something we talk about very op- often because it's not something that happens very often. Uh, I think there was a, a Ben Gessling tweet that that said that this is the eighth time that's happened since 2001. Belichick did it, and then he was asked about it, and he was like, "Yeah, our board was empty. Like we didn't have any players we liked anymore, so we were like, screw it, and we took a long snapper." So like. It's, it's a pretty strong declaration, you know, and, and you can talk, too, about, like, oh, they lost out on, like, this undrafted free agent sweepstakes. All that's going on as I record this right now. I'll talk about all those tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Um, but, you know, they, they, like, lost out on this sweepstakes. Well, you didn't. You took a long snapper over, you know, like, Stanley Morgan Jr. was a wide receiver that was on the board that a lot of people wanted. And apparently they did inquire about him as a, a an undrafted free agent, uh, but... They didn't have to. They could have not taken the long snapper, gone with uh, whatever is left of Kevin McDermott's fingers, and instead drafted, you know, Stanley Morgan Jr. and, like, had really good value at that position. He was supposed to be, like, uh, a fifth or maybe sixth rounder. So, really, like, that's a declaration just on the basis of, of positional importance. I think you could probably argue that long snapper is, like, the least important position on the entire field because it doesn't play for that many snaps and it's very replaceable. There's lots of long snappers out there and they're very durable because, again, they're not on very many snaps. So, you can have the same guy for, like, 10 years, a la Cullen Loeffler, that, like, you don't have to draft that person. You don't have to spend resources on a long snapper ever. So if you do, it means that nobody at any of the more important positions interested you. No Tyree Jackson, no Stanley Morgan Jr., no Davina Zigbo. Like, every single player that they declined that, you know, if you say anybody who was available or any undrafted free agents that, like, you wish the Vikings got or guys that were your favorites or whatever, the Vikings declared loud and clear, we are not interested in drafting this player. And maybe they're interested in some guys, like, I know they got Jake Browning as a, as a quarterback in the in the undrafted free agent frenzy but essentially if you ever ask them hey why didn't you draft this player you took a long snapper instead like every single one of those players now has a tag on them we would rather have a long snapper than you and and that's a really weird declaration to make and there is like a zero percent chance that that's the right call around everybody so like it's a really baffling move i really have nothing you don't need to do that kevin mcdermott was a fine long snapper uh, there actually was some information that Pro Football Focus had charted that he only had two inaccurate snaps in all of college, which is really good. Kevin McDermott had four inaccurate snaps just last year. I guess that matters. They talk about how like he's really good at like making sure the laces land in the right place. If you remember of you know Blair Walsh infamy, the laces out and all that stuff. So, like, I guess we can use that information and, and make as good of a declaration as possible that, like, all right, cool, he's a good long snapper. But, like, what's the difference between a good long snapper and a bad long snapper? Like, two snaps versus four bad snaps, and the punter is has, like, a little bit of a harder job, I guess? It would matter, and it can lead to, like, block field goals or block punts or, or weird punts or stuff like that. And I'm sure that over time that value accumulates, but it, it pales in comparison to what you could get from, a, like, a seventh-round pick with upside or a seventh-round pick that ends up, you know, filling out your roster and your backups or, or, you know, contributing as a punt gunner or something like that. Like, that kind of thing might have more value value and couple on top of that that he has like wants to serve in the air force and might not be available to the nfl at all for two more years that is a very strange use of a seventh round pick now all in all it's the 250th pick in the draft you're probably like your odds of getting somebody that does provide the value that i am so yearning for right now is pretty low and i understand that like you forfeited a pick i'm gonna i'm calling it a blown pick you blew the pick but you blew pick 250, and that's not really going to color anything else about the rest of the draft. All in all, and, and I'll you know be a lot more uh, 
like pointed at this big picture look, but all in all, I'm really happy with this draft. I really like the way that they addressed positional need while also not like forfeiting best player available. You know, they took good players that will contribute immediately. I think the Vikings, like usually you don't get this many people who are immediately ready to play. Garrett Bradbury, Irv Smith, immediately ready to contribute. You know, Alex uh, Madison, even though I talked yesterday about how I don't like what he contributes and I don't think it's worth much, it is ready right away. And so there is that. Drew Samia, he, he'll take a little bit of time to, uh, to like, really get up to speed. And I think everybody else in the third round, uh, except for, I guess, Austin Cutting, if he is available and not in the Air Force, uh, and, and Cameron Smith, those two, I think, are also ready to play right away, and everybody else is a bunch of projects, which is what you th- should do in the late rounds. So I think they did a really good job of like getting people who, who contribute what you drafted them to contribute right away, and then also taking some developmental projects that a, a lot of these guys aren't going to make the team, and that's okay. The ones who do and who get a chance to develop could have a lot more upside than the, the draft capital that was spent on them, and that is really awesome. So that is going to do it for uh, my actual day of draft coverage here on Locked on Vikings. You can always find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. You can find this show on any podcast app you like, or you can just ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. Thank you all so much for hanging out and and dealing with all of my draft rants and and being so uh, fun and engaged on Twitter. It's been a real blast enjoying this draft with you. We will wrap things up and talk about the undrafted free agents on a podcast that will come out tomorrow morning, so do stay tuned for that. And then I will take a break until a week from Monday will be the next time you get a show from me, and we'll start previewing the season. So can't wait to do all that stuff with you. Again, thank you all so much for hanging out, and as always, skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.